I want to give our listeners the best experience possible and the best information possible. And, you know, I want to be as factual as possible. All while having a good time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Those are the wise words of a wise man regarding our mindset here at the F1 Funcast and what we're trying to do with uh, this podcast and the future of our growing community. So I just would like to welcome you all back aboard the F1 Funcast. You know we are at F1 Funcast on Instagram, Twitter, Gmail, etc. And we are now officially halfway to the next Grand Prix. And once again, I am joined here by my cousin Connor. I think I'm calling him the crew chief, but we'll see. We'll, we'll put it up to him what he wants to be called from now on as a um, full-time member of this podcast. But for those of you that haven't joined us before, this is the place where we try to keep F1 fun and talk about things from drivers and their roads to Formula One to the weekend's Grand Prix. And we look forward to talking about the silly season and everything Formula One for beginning fans all the way up to well-seasoned and knowledgeable fans like the crew chief over here. And someone said this week that there was a little bit of a pinky in the brain thing going on between the two of us. And if you're not familiar with that cartoon from the 90s, it's uh, the theme song says one's a little genius and the other's insane. And we'll leave it up to you guys to decide who is who here. But we are back to talk all about the new sprint race format here in uh, 2023 leading up to uh, Baku and what to look forward to in all things Formula One. So let's just, uh, let me just plug in here with the Chief and talk about it with you all. It's good to have you back. We got a lot of good feedback last week with... um, I don't know. I, I sent you the numbers of people that were listening, and I think uh, I think you're kind of turning into a star out there. You definitely boosted up our numbers with your knowledge instead of me just talking into the wind. So it's been good. It's been <laughs> well, good. it's it's good to be back, and you know, I I enjoy being able to come on the podcast and kind of share what I know. And I I know I don't know the most out there because I don't you know I haven't spent 20 years in the sport and things like that. But uh, I definitely have more of a knowledge for more of like a basic fan that can kind of understand what I'm saying. Well, yeah. And I think hopefully it won't be a having you back and it's just a regular thing. I hope so. And it'll be, it'll be more like, why is he doing these individual podcasts? Where's the other guy, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think, I think today's a good chance to talk about the, the sprint race format coming up in a couple of weeks. We're still, Two weeks from Baku, from from the next Grand Prix, is that right? We had a full think, format. Yeah, I think we've got like one more week. I think this is. I think this might be um, coming up to one week to go. So I think next weekend is when the race is. I have to double check it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I don't think they race next Sunday. I think it's a week from next Sunday. So, oh gosh, so it feels like it never ends. <laughs> it's nuts, and you know, it's funny. Even the teams on their social media are really reaching for content you know there's only so much uh, oh, yeah. Mercedes put out a good video about their 
their crews that are working the 24-hour shift and stuff I thought was pretty interesting. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, as much as we're looking for the next race and we're looking for the next Grand Prix, those guys are working hard. They're probably working harder during these weeks off than they are when things are in full swing, you know, in those labs. And then the... Yeah, so Azerbaijan is not until the 28th to the 30th of April, so I think we got, what, another week? Oh, boy. I wish I could just, you know, take like a... a 10-day sleeping pill or something and just wake up, you know, <laughs> the following Wednesday. I wish I could take one of those for a lot of things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, so um, Azerbaijan's going to be the first new sprint race format, right? They changed yes. it up a little bit this it's, year. It should be interesting. So what is, I guess, let's just talk about what the change is between last year and this year and what the, the big differences you'll be able to see over the weekend are. So the setup for the weekend is kind of the same. It's more as far as how the sprint race affects Sunday's Grand Prix. Um, so from 2021, when we when Formula One started uh, doing the sprint races, they had been using the sprint race as a way to set the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. But now it's going to be it's a, it's its own race now. Um, so they'll have the qualifying for Sunday's race on Friday in place of FP2. And then on Saturday morning, they where FP3 would normally be placed, they have qualifying for the sprint race. Sprint race Saturday afternoon, and then the race on Sunday. So now your, your finish in the sprint race has no bearing whatsoever on... Sunday for you then that has to do with your qualifying pace on Friday afternoon is that is yes. that right like yep. there's no they're two separate things altogether yeah so no it, it doesn't have the sprint race doesn't have an effect on your starting position unless I'm assuming if you were to like crash out or have some kind of mechanical problems where um, you have to fix something that's under park for me um, then you know I think that would probably be the only thing that gets affected get a grid penalty there on on sunday it's it's why why are they doing this like it is has the sprint been such a flop that people are not interested in it or do you think it's more of a a way to get more people to the track on saturday what what is the driving idea behind changing the format honestly i i've i'm not really sure um i like the way that it was set up as it is right now um because you know it forces you to take risks during the race in the sprint race. And then, you know, if you make a mistake, you're penalized for it in the race on Sunday. Um, and I think that was, I think that was fair. Um, but I can also understand why they're switching it up because, you know, they want to, I guess, make sure that people are actually going to be pushing during the sprint race, because if, you know, if you were to spin or make a mistake, then it affects your Sunday race. So most drivers probably weren't pushing 110% because they don't want to have something that affects their long-term race. Right. If they were satisfied with P5 in the sprint, they would just kind of cruise in, in fifth position. Yeah, exactly. Because that would be, the, right, that makes sense. It's in, It's interesting, too, because I was reading, and people are saying that it's a way to 
it's like anything else. It's a bit of a ratings uh, grab to get more eyes on the product for the whole weekend, you know, instead of just that Sunday morning or wherever you are, Sunday afternoon or night. But it, it turns the sprint race into a second main event, you know. Yeah. A, uh, so it's, it's just, it's I don't know, for something that's so new to be tweaking it only a couple years in, and it seems to be rubbing the drivers a little bit the wrong way. I don't know if you saw any of the quotes from like, I haven't seen any of the drivers quotes yet. Um, I have to look at that after we're done here. Um, so but I can only assume first, they're not entirely pleased with it. Max said something. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, well, if they, you know, if they keep making these changes for a long time, then I won't be here for a long time. Um, something along the wow, lines of, really? you know, I don't, I, and then Lando Norris came out and and kind of backed that up. And I've got the quote uh, somewhere here, but essentially he said the same thing. He said, "I'm with I'm with Max on this one. Although <laughs> the races and the sprints can be fun, it's not really what he grew up. But he's saying is he grew up with you know the qualifying it was all about qualifying for the race and then the race and it was all one big thing and this kind of breaks everything up too much and." The drivers certainly don't seem too thrilled with... Well, I'm sure that the drivers don't, but from a fan's perspective, I mean, it's tough to go to all three practice sessions. And unless you're like a hardcore fan, you're super into the sport and um, you really have an understanding of what each practice session has going on during the course of it, you know, you kind of lose interest. So there's three sessions, there's three, so essentially three hours of runtime that aren't exactly super interesting then you have the people that just come for the qualifying and then for the race um so they're trying to get more people into the tracks for these races on saturday because it makes the spectacle a little bit more enjoyable uh from a fan's perspective i think that's i think that's 100 percent true because my wife will watch the qualifying and the race but she doesn't care you know, one bit for the, for the practice sessions where I, I check out the numbers and I look at the, how teams are doing, but I certainly, if you add in another qualifying and another race, it would get, you know, someone like her, she's going to tune in for both qualifyings and both the sprint race exactly. and the, exactly. the Grand like, Prix. So that does make sense. Like I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I like to watch the practice sessions just because, you know, I like to see how the long run pace is and who has the better, like, they're all running different programs. Some teams want right. to run like heavy fuel load, long, long stints, try and get some race pace data. Other teams are trying to work out problems that they're having. So they have a different program schedule and other teams are just right, right off the truck getting into like qualifying prep stuff. Um, so, so when you watch those, is there a general pattern that happens like, FP1 teams are generally working on X, FP2 teams push more towards a race pace, or is it kind of everybody uses their time in their own way? I think for the most part, teams use their time, you know, as their own. Um, it's not like everybody does the exact same thing. Um, but I think you see a lot more of like the qualifying pace come out during FP3 towards the later stages of it. I think FP1 and 2 are mostly used for kind of like getting the car like shook down, um, working out any kinks you might have, and hoping that if a problem arises, it's in one of those practice sessions and you can work it out before the weekend starts. Um, 
It's, it's got to be interesting for those teams, too, when they do start bringing the car upgrades and they get out there in FP1. It's hugely important. Right, right. Yeah, that a lot I, of I can imagine gathering. the tension. Data gathering and a lot of breath holding, I imagine, in the garage. Because oh, absolutely. Because no matter what, no matter what the, the programs say uh, back at headquarters, it's when you get out on the track, it's going to be a different animal altogether, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to spend millions of dollars on an upgrade package that makes you lose time instead of gaining time. Um, slower, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be going slower when you put an upgrade on the car because then not only have you wasted that time and money uh, with that upgrade to go nowhere or to go backwards, but now you have to spend more money and more time to come up with another solution. So it's it's a gamble. It is, and so so with these sprint races, do teams do teams like? I'll be interested to see if teams are going to set their car if they think maybe they can squeeze out some points out of the sprint race rather than the Grand Prix if they know they've got, you know, they can make a move in the in a shorter race for whatever reason or in a more compact schedule. If do you think teams ever will focus on just trying to score points? in the sprint and kind of realized maybe, you know, a team, let's say a team like Williams, right? Alex Albon was running midfield. If that Australian Grand Prix was a sprint race, he would have finished fourth or fifth at one point. Could it, would it be smart for a team to, to look to just to try, try to score points on a sprint race and almost punt the Grand Prix if they know over the long run, they're going to get, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, could be... no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think for like, that's why I like the older format because for the, for the smaller teams, it provided them a chance to get up the grid early and then fend off those positions and, you know, not drop down the grid so much um, and give yourself a better starting position for the race on Sunday. Um, and now we're just basically going to have two of the normal qualifying sessions where the midfield teams are going to be in the midfield like they usually are. And they're not really going to have much of an opportunity to make gains during the actual race because they're not going to be as far up the grid. Um, right. Like right. we've seen instances where a midfield team starts really high up in the sprint or they have an epic first couple of laps and they gain a lot of positions. And depending on what the tire strategy that they're on, they can usually go the whole race. Uh, well, they, they go the whole sprint race on one set of tires anyways, but um, you know, if you use the soft, they burn up really quick. And the mediums will give you a lot more durability towards the end. But now, you know. is that a rule for the sprint race? That I mean, it's only one set of tires, or theoretically, could you pit if you wanted to, if conditions called for it, or is it, you know, you, only one set for the sprint? It would be um, unwise during normal race conditions, um, unless something major happened during the sprint race i think most teams just go you know there's a split strategy you have the guys that start off in the softs hoping for a fast start and kind of get out ahead of the other teams that are running the harder compound um so that by the time their tires are wearing out and the harder compounds are lasting as long as they are they're not going to be caught but there's always that it's it's a gamble um where you know do you want to sprint at the start and then run out of energy at the end or do you want to have a nice consistent you know, like slow start but you know you're going to catch them at towards the end 
Man, it reminds me of, I, I did track and field for one summer when I was a kid. And they put me on the four, I mean, I was a little, little kid. And they put me on the 400 meter, which was like essentially oh, a marathon for us <laughs> at that time. And man, I thought I was the next Usain Bolt. I, at the 200 meter mark, I was gone. I was on those soft tires. I was gone. But then and you, I, you uh, run out of steam and those guys that have been pacing themselves come cruising Like something out of a Spongebob ca- cartoon or something. I <laughs> face planted with about 50 yards to go. And I remember just, I couldn't believe it. I think I was crying. I think my brother was making fun of me. And like, because I thought I had that race won. I was I was planning my, my future as a, as a track star. And man, those kids that were running the mediums definitely just cruised right past me in the last... Oh, I'll never forget that. That's a lesson. So in my, so let's let's talk about that then. Do you think, in general, because it is tire strategy is a big deal any race weekend. But oh yeah, absolutely. In a sprint race, does it seem to be to favor a medium or a soft, or does that really depend on the track and the it conditions? It depends on the track and whether your car chews through the tires or handles the tires well. Like Perez, you know, he's a master at making tires last and last forever. Um, but if you were to put like a set of softs on a car on like a Ferrari, who this year they're just chewing through tires, they can't figure out their degradation problems. Um, they wouldn't last the same amount as Checo would be able to get out of his softs. It's just, you know, it comes down to the driver, it comes down to the car and whether that tire compound suits that car well. So that's a real driver skill too, though, to, to be able oh, to get the, the most. It's not just you're in this car. This is how it's going to chew through the tires. It's a real skill. Absolutely, it is. And an important one, too, probably. Oh, it's majorly important. To... I think um, Jensen Button, it was, uh, he was world champion in 2009 with uh, Braun GP. And they're, they're an immortalized team. I think we should take a dive into them at some point. Um, sure. That's sure. It's a really fascinating story. But... Um, he was also very well known for not just being very good at mixed weather conditions, but he was very good at managing tire wear. And is that, so would you say his, uh, his counterpart on today's grid would be Checo? You think he's known as the best tire manager on the grid or is there? I think Checo's um, definitely one of them. Um, I'm really sure who else really comes close. Um, but, I would say Checo for sure. It's it's really uh it's just there's so much that goes on that if you if you're not looking, you know, that's happening during a race, if you're just watching the cars go around, you don't notice the, the how important the tires are, how important it's these incredibly little things important. The, Yeah, yeah. It really is. And um so this weekend or geez, next weekend in Baku, what do you think um is it just gonna be Red Bull runs away with the sprint and the and the Grand Prix, or is there some room for a Ferrari or Aston Martin to maybe push them in the in the sprint race? Like, do you, do you know if this is is Baku a track that favors the Red Bull setup where they'll just be be gone before morning, or do you think uh, there's somewhere some team can catch them? You know, you know more about tracks and their strengths and weaknesses than I do. Well, and Baku has one of the longest straights on the calendar, if not the longest straight on the calendar. Um, Oh boy. So that lends very, very well to Red Bull. 
unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, it pains me to say it. Um, but I think Aston Martin could give them a pretty good run for their money, or at least maybe push them to the point where they make a mistake, or if there's a rel- uh, some kind of reliability issue, they're in position to take advantage of that. Um, that really seems to be how the uh, how the field has to play it this year. I hope for Red Bull to make some unforced errors rather than yeah, sometimes, trying to catch them outright. Sometimes it's like that. Um, I think that you know, I think Ferrari, if if they can just, you know, they've got a laundry list of things that they need that they need to work on, um, but I think that if they can really get around to finding a setup window where that really works for their car, they could make a little bit of a comeback. I don't think they're going to be as far up the order as Aston Martin, but they might be duking it out with them at the same time. But really as tough. far as Rebel, I think they're going to be kind of untouchable for a little bit here. Yeah, and I mean that's that's no fault of their own. Everyone says no, uh, Red Bull, and but they've done a they've done a good job, really. And no, they've done they've done a fantastic job. Um, I and think you know that... you're doing a good job when people are accusing you of your car being illegal or cheating or you know all these different things I, that I come love, with it. Uh, I love. I think it was Hamilton who suggested at the last race that they weren't pushing their car to the maximum so that the FI wouldn't have to <laughs> clamp down on them. And I was just like, man, if this is how far ahead they are compared to everybody else and they're not going 100% with their car, that's scary. That's amazing, really. I mean, <laughs> it is scary. And you look at Perez in Australia. Where did he – he started way back in the grid and just had a nice casual drive up to up to the, you know, top five. And he started back in like 14th or 15th, I think. So Yeah, something like that. They don't, they don't even have to really push it to, to get that – no. extra gear yeah it's well they're, they're super they're super efficient in a straight line i mean there's all this talk about them having almost like a triple drs effect and i mean you see it when they were closing on hamilton and russell at Jeddah. i mean they were it looked like they were in warp speed compared to the mercedes as they were going by it was like an it was like an extra 30 kilometers Hamilton didn't even try to defend. I mean, he no. just knew. How can you? you know that? And so, what is that triple DRS effect? I've heard a lot about it, but I don't really understand the triple. Like, like I, I yeah. honestly, I have to take a deeper look into it myself. But from my understanding, it's just the way that the whole aerodynamic package on the car works and making it as slippery as possible, and how kind of just all the bodywork and the diffuser and the underfloor and every surface kind of plays a part in it. Um, and they're just able to extract so much efficiency from that. They're finding gains everywhere then. Everything Huge they gains. Do. Yeah. Yeah. So then I guess that brings me to the next, next question about, I've heard rumblings. I don't know if you have about, you know, the ground effect era, maybe doing away with DRS in general. And I don't yes. know, you know, I don't, nothing, nothing's set in stone about that, but it seems like they're trending towards, excuse me, trending towards getting rid of DRS in sometime in the next few years. Yeah. Why so, would they do that? So that was a big, um, kind of like one of the big promises or the big thoughts around this new era of ground effect cars um, was that with their ability to follow closer through corners and through high speed corners, um, more importantly, 
um, they'd be able to follow closer down a straight and get a better slipstream effect and be able to pass without having to use DRS like, you know, like they always do. Um, but what we're seeing is that the older cars, the, the previous generation of cars created so much dirty air and so much turbulence from the downforce they were creating, all the little barge boards and winglets and all kinds of crazy bits on the car that were made to extract as much downforce as possible, they were creating a big hole in the air. So if you look back at like 2021 and before with the older cars, the slipstream effect is massive. You know, they'll be a mile behind the guy on a straight and then by the end of it, they're almost right next to him. They, they, they got really? so much slipstream effect, but the problem that they're, I think they're seeing with this car is that because it's cleaned up the dirty air so much and you're, you are able to follow closer, but that takes away a lot of that slipstream effect as well. So you're not getting as much of a toe. You're not getting as much of a, of a draft off the person that's ahead of you. Um, so it's much more difficult to get up alongside without the DRS. It's still, I think it's still possible, but there's has to be some tweaking involved, but I think that we're going to see DRS for a little bit longer. And, you know, I, I haven't watched, I've watched old races, you know, without the DRS, but just my live racing experience has all been in order to pass another, to, to overtake another car, you have to have that DRS wing open. And to me, it seems unfathomable that you could ever, ever get in front of someone else without that DRS. But, um, I don't know. It seems so, so for a purist, is DRS kind of considered a gimmicky solution to a problem? If you're an old time F1 fan from back in the day, or would they yeah. tend to be anti-DRS? I, I, I mean, the thing is that you're not going to be able to please everybody, right? I mean, people were complaining that there's not enough passing in the sport. This is dating back to like late, like 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, they introduced DRS, I think it was 2010 or 2011. Um, and the slot gap used to be much narrower, so it wasn't as big of an effect as it is now. Um, Interesting. And but now that we have DRS and the DRS passing, there's been more passing. But now the complaint is that it's only DRS passing. It's right. it's just right. the guy can sit there if he's in a faster car on fresher tires. All he has to do is sit there until he gets to the DRS zone, and then just breeze by the guy. There's no right. waiting right. for like making a, a late breaking move down the inside, sending it on a corner that you would never see a pass. It's just wait until that's straight, you know. Um, less risk-taking, too, than yes. probably with the with the passing. Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely less risk-taking. Um, I think that if they were to maybe close up that slot gap when the DRS opens a little bit, because, I mean, you look at it now, and, it, like, you could fit a foot. You could fit a foot in there. Um, whereas if you look at it back in, like, 2011, 2012... It's a very small gap compared to now, so maybe I think, maybe that's the answer. Yeah, I think that if they could maybe just close the gap a little bit, it would make, I mean, it would make the overtaking a little bit di more difficult. But you wouldn't also be passing the guy a quarter of the way down a straight. You'd be passing him like as you're getting to that braking zone, so there'd be a little bit more of an element of bravery to a pass. 
instead of just cruising sure. by the guy, ducking back onto the racing line and see you later. Right, which is is what we see now. I mean, you can almost tell guys just wait. You know, they're willing to sit behind you for two, three laps till they get that right spot with the right DRS, and it doesn't yep. matter that they claim that position earlier or that they fight for it. It's it is interesting. Although I would like to see with less overtaking how much more intense qualifying and how much more important qualifying is at that point without, you know, like you say before, when people complained that there wasn't enough overtaking and there wasn't enough passing that I'd like to watch those qualifying sessions to see how just, just how important that is. Cause Max Verstappen right now in his Red Bull could qualify P13 and still likely finish at the top of the podium yep. without having to take too much risk. You know, I, I look back at, I know you're a Mercedes fan, so this might hit home a little bit, but <laughs> during their run, I mean, they were so far ahead of everybody else that all they really had to do was make a car that had great single lap pace for qualifying, get on pole or near the front, and they'd be gone. But when you get to like 2018, 2019, 2020, when they started to kind of be caught up a little bit um, by everybody else, and on the off chance that they weren't up front or they got stuck in traffic after a pit stop. They had a lot of trouble passing people. Their car wasn't very good when it was in traffic, but once it was in clean air, it was the fastest thing on the track. So, so it's, yeah. it, their car was, you know, obviously it was the fastest car on the grid, but it is argued that they were really only building it for one purpose for qualifying lap pace and then for qualifying just, yeah. just check out during the race so so what happened in that time that kind of closed the gap um down from mercedes or up from red bull ferrari what was the main was there a technical change was there a regulation change what what closed that gap up so much or was it just time like that's that's what's bound to happen over time it it kind of happens over time um you know there's always a big gap at the beginning of, re- of a regulation change where one team gets a step ahead and the rest are kind of catching up. I mean, we saw it in 2014 at the beginning of the turbo hybrid era, and there's a lot of controversy around whether Mercedes had been tipped off about the new engine regulations and they got a kind of a head start on the engine, which is why they were so far ahead. Um, huh. And I'm not going to delve into that because that's a whole nother big story. Um, yeah, that's I, interesting. There's some homework for me right there, though. I'll yes. have to read into that. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's it's fascinating because these changes in, in unlike any in I don't want to say traditional sport, but you know a, a sport with a team and and not an auto sport, um, you don't see these changes coming as often and as as drastically as you do in Formula One. You know, like Major League Baseball is going through big changes this year for the first time and. It seems like a hundred years, and people are freaking out. And it just seems like in Formula <laughs> it's, One, it's, people it's purists, expect you know? it. Everybody's right. Everybody's a purist as soon as there's a rule change. It's yeah, and that, but it seems like that comes with part of the territory. If you're going to be a, a Formula One fan, you're going to yep. have to know that every ten years or so, things are going to be different. Yep, and you have to go with it. Yeah, and usually a lot of the a lot of the times, there's a rule change that's brought on to end some kind of an era of dominance. Um, like I look back to like 2004 going into the 2005 season where Ferrari and Michael Schumacher, they just win Schumacher's seventh world championship. They're on like five in a row of doubles. 
um, being constructors and drivers championships. In 2005, there was a, rule, a couple of rule changes that were significant that directly impacted Ferrari because they were kind of aimed at slowing them down. Um, they made the front wing be a little bit higher off the ground, um, and you could only use one set of tires for the entire race, where the previous year, Bridgestone was making tires for Ferrari where you know they could run qualifying laps the entire race, and you know they could make three or four pit stops in a race and it didn't matter because they could just outpace everybody they just blitz people um but then in 2005 they had to completely redo the rubber uh on the bridgestones to be able to last an entire race and they just couldn't figure it out um and that's when we saw the the changing of the guard from fernand from michael schumacher to fernando alonso and Schumacher never went on to win another driver's championship after that, right? That no, was... he did not. He came close in 2005 and 2006, and then, but those were the two years that uh, Nando won it tw- two years in a row. Well, I like that you you brought us to the 2005 tire changes because I've got a feeling that's going to be something the tires in the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix are going to be a big subject of our next our oh, next yes. episode here. Oh yes, there's a because that's that's a, that's a big, whole big. St- big controversy big storyline there's a lot that came from that and there was a lot of that was one of the big reasons why formula one didn't re-up with indianapolis for or re-up their contract with indianapolis after 2007 i've been i've been researching that grand prix and i've never spent so much time watching videos of how tires it's amazing to isn't it? banking and how much grip and pull and friction and it is amazing and it's people think scary. that driving on people think that driving on a banking is the exact same as driving on a flat piece of road it is it is not there's such a much different dynamic and much different physics at play that really affect the way that a car and the tires react the and way they, a lot of credit the heat generated in the tires i should say yeah, those people that, you know, so it really changes the way I look at even when I see tire commercials on TV when they're they're trying to sell me, you know, tires for the snow tires or rain tires and things like that. I realize how much work and technology and information goes it's into those. You think it's crazy. And, and you wouldn't really I, I think about it to... until you really look into it. No, because you just, they're just, for most people, it's just something you slap on your car once they yep. go bald. Yep. And, uh yeah, it's. I, I'm looking forward to talking about that one because that's. Oh, gonna me too. Be, it's gonna be an awesome yeah. episode. <laughs> and, yeah, and because it's 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 like it's got some science, it's got some silliness, it's got a little yep. bit of politics, it's got a little bit of everything going on. Oh yeah. And, uh, I can't imagine though if you were 2005, if you're a ticket holder to that 2005 Grand Prix. <laughs> you imagine being being there on the grid and watching. What I think they had like 22, 21 cars. Yeah, 20 or 22 cars at the start and then come around the formation lap but only six pe- six of them pull up onto the grid for the well start that's of the, the other thing like you see the formation <laughs> lap and you think hey this is this is going to be fine and then these guys start pulling off it's like they pulled the rug out from underneath you yep and, they, yeah, they didn't brutal you know they didn't really tell anybody either they were just like all right well all the michelin guys that kind of have like an inside like an inside joke in a way where only they knew about it only the teams that were running Michelin's ducked into the pits and six cars started the Grand Prix. 
and you know we'll, we'll talk about it more next week but just I the effect wait. it had on the season and and, and on personal histories it's great it's a it's a silly story and a fun thing to, i mean maybe not a fun memory for some people but it's, it's funny <laughs> to look back on now you know 18 years ago wow yeah time time flies, flies. So uh, what else you got for me on, on Baku or the sprint race? Or you got anything else in terms I that, of... Uh... I think that's those are really the big talking points that I want to bring up during this during this episode. Um, I'm definitely working on some other ones. I'm doing some research before I start spouting some knowledge about those. Yeah, no, it's it's great, and I love having having you do this and being able to catch up. And um, yeah, me, me too. And, it, you know, I wanna I wanna give our listeners the best experience possible and the best information possible, and you know, I want to be as factual as possible, all while having a good time. That's that's what I'm hoping for, and I'm and and for me, you're helping me learn, so then I can turn around and talk to someone at the grocery store about it and sound like I know what I'm talking about. Because I've already had people ask me questions like, "Oh yeah, you're, you, what do you think about this?" And I, you know, I'm I'm still learning. I should put a badge on my shirt that says I'm a learner. You know, but uh, <laughs> like like how they have uh, over in Britain with the giant the big L's that they put on the back of the cars for the, the people who are on the yeah. learners permits. Maybe that should be my badge on Twitter for now until I can uh, until I can F, pass the test. Like, like the F1 logo with the big L underneath it or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, pretty good. So, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to next week, though. It's going to be a good one. And, yeah, um, me too. We'll uh, we'll definitely look forward to touching base around that. Absolutely. And with that, I think we are concluding our second cooperative edition here of the F1 Funcast. And please check us out on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Gmail for questions or whatever you've got for us going forward. And, uh, you know, feel free, please share. And this is a grassroots thing we've got going on here. Just a couple of guys talking about something that uh, one of us knows very little about and the other has a pretty good knowledge about. And it's a great learning process and hopefully a growing community. And thank you once again for joining me, joining us, checking this out. If you interact on any of those social media sites, we will get in touch. We will read your questions I will, if we can try to stump Connor with some trivia, if you have questions for us about our fandom or questions that you would like answered, please give us an email, check in on Instagram, tweet us, just be in touch. We want to be in touch with you. And thank you once again for checking out this podcast. We can't wait to bring you some more stuff to listen to to get you over until uh, the next Formula One Grand Prix in Azerbaijan less than two weeks from when you're listening to this or maybe if you're way out in the future it's been 10 years but either way we're glad you listened thank you for checking it out and have a great week everybody until next time we will see you later why is he doing these individual podcasts where's the other guy